Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and this is a special treat, you guys. I'm having my little cool dog factoid nerd out day today, and I have brought with me some friends, Kira Wong. You guys are going to have to work with me because we are going to introduce you to a breed from Vietnam, and the people who are joining us, Kira and Dan Can Tran, are from the Pu Hua Ridgeback. Pu Quuk Ridgeback. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you guys, listeners, this is Laura learning Vietnamese in five minutes. So <laughs> it's not pretty. I'm just what I'm going to say. It's not pretty. But this is the coolest, coolest breed. The PQRA and Dan Can and Kara are here to talk to us about the work that they are doing to preserve basically the Vietnamese Ridgeback. And so similar to the Thai Ridgeback and what we're familiar with, the Rhodesian Ridgeback, this is a native breed from Vietnam. And I am just thrilled that you guys have come to join me and tell us more about this really cool breed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So, Kira, I'm going to have you go first a little bit and talk about, I know that you just returned from a trip to Vietnam to do some research on this breed in its native country. So talk to us a little bit about how incredibly cool that trip had to be. It was amazing. So, yeah, I had a friend who was going to go to Vietnam and she said, well, you should just come over. And I was like, okay. So I should just come over. <laughs> so my late husband is from Vietnam. So that's how this whole thing started is he's from Vietnam. My son is half Vietnamese. So it ties into our family that this is a place that we should obviously go visit. Sure. And so having a family friend there, I knew if anything happens, I can always call on her. And then it kind of hit me, well, if I'm going over there, I might as well reach out to any of the DNA databases and see if they want some samples because mm -hmm. I'm going. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well... It probably won't be a big thing. I'll just swab a couple of dogs here and there. No, I talked to Wisdom Panel and Wisdom Panel said, great, we'll send you several kits. And so they were like, we can do like 25 to 30. Embark said that they would love to widen their database. So they sent me some kits as well. And then I was like, I'll just observe whatever I see with the breed and I can bring it back for information, seeing the dogs in the country of origin, how they sure. are, how they behave. It's going to be great. And then... I also realized, well, if I'm going to be there, there's also other native Vietnamese breeds. And I'm probably going to see those too. Right. So I might as well swap those. So I emailed them both back and I was like, hey, Embark, hey, Wisdom Panel, would you like these other native Vietnamese breeds that you have no data on? And they were like, sure. Oh and that's gosh. how I ended up with 111 DNA kits and like <laughs> almost 20 kennels. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I definitely pushed her into some of this as well. <laughs> I hear that you're like the troublemaker is what I'm hearing in this. <laughs> I hunger for information. Yes. Not just about the Fukuok Ridgeback, but about all of these breeds. So I was like, well, if you're going, Kira, you should also 
check out some of these other breeds because some of the same kennels will also have Hmong Bob tails and Bacow dogs. So those right. are some of the other breeds that Kira got to see while she was there. It was Hmong Bob tails, Bacow, and Jaw Lai or Lai dog. So she got to see a lot. I unfortunately couldn't go. We were hoping to go together, but the trip happened nevertheless, and we got so much information. <laughs> I kind of told her it was going to happen in August, and then my friend was going in January, and I was like, okay, I'm going in January. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean you just can't pick up your life and just leave on a whim to a different country? <laughs> Sorry, sucks for you. Kind of thing. Yeah, but, but I mean, regardless, I'm behind <laughs> the scenes inputting all the data and making sure wisdom and embark have their information not in a scramble correct that's where dan ken comes in and plays a lot is because i love going on the adventure i can go make the contacts i love meeting other people meeting all these dogs organization skills and working a spreadsheet absolutely not so <laughs> i was like i need to help organize this a little bit organize that for me and then it was basically me going to all these people and being like can i come to your house and see your dogs <laughs> and they were like okay, what are you doing? And I was like, I have to explain the whole thing over and over. You know, we want data. We want information on this breed. It's going to help us out in the long run to preserve what they are. So why not? And a lot of them were like, that's great. Absolutely. Here, have all of my dogs. I'm like, well, I can only really do the unrelated ones to kind of get a wide sample of a base of unrelated dogs. And my vacation very quickly turned into just sampling dogs for 10 years. <laughs> just sciencey stuff. It was all science. It was all information. It was all research. So the entire trip turned into a research trip. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I didn't see it. Dan Ken, I'm going to have you be in charge of giving us some history on the PQR. Oh, wow. There's so much history here. Well, you know, as much as I could find, of course. A lot of their history has unfortunately been erased, but a lot of what we could find is from France, actually. France took over Vietnam for a little while. They also brought back information to France. And it's really cool because we have quite a number of documents. And I think one of the most interesting one is a letter by a man named Fernando Sul. He was in Ha Thieng, which is on the mainland Vietnam, but right next to the island. So was working there. And the PQR, forgive me for interrupting, but the breed was really, you mentioned earlier, basically a land race or sort of a feral breed developed on a particular island yeah. off of the coast of mainland Vietnam. On Phu Quoc Island, actually. So they're mm -hmm. actually named after the island. Their name in Vietnamese is Ja Phu Quoc. Ja literally meaning dog and Phu Quoc being the name of the island. So they're literally just Phu Quoc dog or dog from Phu Quoc. But yeah, he worked there and actually he mentions, he writes a very extensive letter to the Jardin d'Acclimatation, which is a zoo almost, that was in France. He sent them dogs and he also sent them a very long letter about the dogs that he found, what they were like. And he actually mentions in his letter that he believes that they are autochthonous, you know, they're indigenous. Mm. Partially because he asked around and he was like, where are these dogs from? And no one could tell him. <laughs> no one could give him like a very concrete answer wow. about where they're from. And even now, I don't think natives on the island can really give you a concrete answer. But on the other hand, they do have interesting myths from the island. There's a really neat mythical story that the native people have that these dogs were 
born from Gagne. So Gagne is a kind of like the stone guardian dragon dogs that the Chinese have. The Vietnamese also have kind of their own native creature, right? Gagne, which also guards temples and important places and homes even. Right. So they were supposedly thought to be created by the Nghe mixing with like local island dogs or island jackals. So that's kind wow. of a cool like yeah, that's very cool story that they've got going on. And when you look at the statue of a Nghe, you see this kind of like ridged, almost looking thing on the back mm. of them. So when you often see them in pictures or like of the statues mm-hmm. and stuff, you'll see that there is like an almost spiking looking to them. So it kind of like plays into the ridge that our dogs have. Right. Yeah. Similarity to them. Amazing. And Kira, talk to us a little bit about what is their role? I assume hunting, but talk to us more about the PQR's role in Vietnam on the island. And are they still being used today? So the breed on the island itself, there's a large facility there that breeds them and is trying to keep them to the island. Mm-hmm. It's got like a little agility course where they display their athleticism. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they have to climb like over a fence. It's like a racetrack, but with obstacles. Yeah, it's like a little racetrack, but it's got obstacles to it. So they have to climb over, they have to jump, they have to swim through this little creek thing that they made. It's really cute, but some of them do still use the dogs for guarding around the house is what they call it. Like Mm. it's good to keep the house, meaning it will hunt rodents and things Mm -hmm. around the house. Mm -hmm. It's good to alert to bark and things that are not supposed to be there. As far as guarding, they're not going to like full on attack somebody who comes into their house, but they're going to alert you and let you know that they're Mm -hmm. there. They were also used for hunting. They're very, very good hunters. Three, four of them can take down a boar or small deer. But their hunting is different from modern dogs hunting because they're independent thinkers. So they don't need their hunter to actually go with them to hunt. They'll take down a boar on their own. And I've actually watched videos of them where you've got your pig and they're chasing this pig, but they'll split off on their own. Mm. So you've got three that are chasing this pig, mm. and then you've got two that have now split off to go and chase it and catch it on the other side. Corner it. Corner it, right. They're thinking and communicating with themselves to go and do these roles. They'll assign themselves roles, which is what I was told by a lot of the breeders there is when they do go hunt with them or they're hunting field mice or whatever they're hunting, that the dogs will go and do their own roles and they'll distinguish them amongst themselves. The hunter never has to tell them what to do. So a lot of that is big with the people who hunt with them still. Sure. And then people who have them at the kennels and are on the house, they're just family pets. They're great companions. They're really loyal to their families. They're good with kids. They're neutral with the other dogs and stuff coming in. If they're right. not supposed to be there, they'll market those other dogs kind of thing. But they're not super aggressive. They're not really hard dogs to live with. They're mm. really easy dogs to live with. I think a good description is just like easygoing. Very easygoing. Yeah, that's it. That's kind of like the breed characteristic is that they're easygoing island dogs. Now, if you want to take them up, they'll go hunting with you all day or they'll stay at home with you all day kind of thing. There's so much versatility to the dogs that the people of Vietnam really, really like. Sure. They like their dogs to be versatile. And they're short-coated, upright ears. They have a ridge of hair on their back and they're Mm -hmm. kind of medium-sized. Yep. Medium-sized, single-coated, pricked ears. They do have ridgeless dogs every so often because the ridge, you know, it's either dominant and you have recessive genes to that. So you'll have a ridgeless pop up every so often, but it still has the same characteristics. Otherwise, uh, the pricked ears, the same build, the same type as the rest of the dogs. They have a very distinct face to them. I like to refer to it like a bicycle seat almost. But their (laughs) Their face is kind of triangular shape. 
where you look at the tie ridgeback, they have more blocky face to them. Mm-hmm. So that's one of our big indicators of the breed versus a tie ridgeback is you look at their faces and their bodies and they're very different dogs when you look at them side by side. But when you're not really used to seeing these type of dogs, it's kind of like, well, are you sure it's not a tie ridgeback? <laughs> or wait, how is this different from a tie ridgeback? <laughs> Let me show you side by side. Uh-huh. <laughs> You'll they're see. usually like 30 to 45 pounds. Okay. You know, okay. so they're medium size. I'm kind of tall, so I usually say they come up to my calf or my knee, but I'm almost yeah. six feet myself, so I'm kind of tall. Like, it's a good size. <laughs> they're a pretty compact dog. They got a lot of leg, so they're very tall, but they're really not that large. And they're, of course, very slim. They are a lean-built esque lean-built. Oh, interesting. So side-by-side with a tie ridgeback, would the tie ridgeback be a blockier, blockier-headed, blockier yes. body? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, both of those, exactly. Interesting. Block your head. They're stocky. They're thicker in build all the way around. So when you're looking at the two side by side, you're going to very clearly see these are not the same dogs. The Fulcock Ridgeback is very slim, athletic built. It's just slimmer. It's like I like to think that they're built for speed and tie Ridgebacks are built for more muscle. Okay. But that's just my own personal right. like. So a distance runner versus a sprinter. The <laughs> 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 tie Ridgebacks are definitely bulkier, but definitely thicker in build and their structure alone. It's quite different when you look at them side mm-hmm. by side. Interesting. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trupanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trupanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their Go Home Day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trupanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So talk to me and you guys decide amongst yourself who's the right one to answer this one. Talk to me about what the PQRA is doing in terms of preserving this breed, introducing them here in the U.S. and North America, and trying to keep them going here. Talk to us about that a little bit. Go for it. Okay. So the Fukuoka Ridgeback Association, we're aiming for the parent breed club in America. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're trying to establish this breed here. Not just establish it, but we're trying to preserve what it is in Vietnam and preserve those same traits here. They're very rare, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to novelize something that's rare, something that's new, something that's expensive. We don't want that. We want our breed to be loved as it is over there. We want it to be as available and accessible, but we want it to stay true to the breed that is in Vietnam. So when we're looking at things like standards and bringing them over, we're working to translate them and update them to fit the dogs as they should. We're seeking recognition so that when people do start bringing these dogs over and do start breeding them, they're not mixing them with whatever or just mixing with the tie back and calling it a day, that they're the same thing because you see these standards that are set. That's how the breed should be. 
and there's no mixing of that and just passing it off as whatever. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that these three characteristics stay true in temperament. We want to stay true in structure. We want to stay true in the type that it looks Mm -hmm. as they do over there. And so that's our big goal is just to make sure that the breed stays as it is over there. Or if it doesn't stay, it improves. And we don't want it to go backwards is the big thing. So what we're doing as well is obviously we're going to kennel clubs. We're like, okay, we got this dog breed. We need it in. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we want it in the kennel clubs. We want it in AKC, FSS. We want it in UKC. We want it in anywhere we can get it just Mm -hmm. so that we can start building a community for these people and these dogs. It's a very small community right now, but it's great. Right. We're trying, but that's not quite enough when you look at the grand scheme of things, because now you're going to want to, oh, well, this is a cool dog. We need to breed it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we got to start health testing. Right. That's a huge thing, but they're not in anything. So what are we health testing for? Because the breed is relatively healthy. So what do you do? Right. You start it up. So we started getting the dogs into OFA. My dogs and Dan Can's dogs were actually the first go into the OFA database for hips. We had their hips done, elbows done, um, patellas, cardiac, basically anything our dogs can do to get them into the OFA database, we did. So now the breed is in the OFA database. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Very excited about that. And then I'm also a sport person. So when you have a breed that's not recognized, how do you title it? Right. Well, you go into these kennel clubs and these sport venues and say, hey, I have a really cool dog. Can you please let me in so I can title it? Right. Right. (laughs) And so that's another thing our organization has done is we have gotten the dogs into certain places like venues that will do rally, obedience, agility. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not recognized, at least we can get them into something and start doing Do that. something fun with them. Right. Yeah. Do something fun. We love it when people do more with their dog because that's how you expose people to the breed. Right. We love it. We love it. We're here for it. We support yeah. it 100%. So what we did was we made a collective list of places to title. Right. That accepted it. So that way people in the community can come to one spot with the Corporate Tobacco Association. You can find it on our Facebook page where all of these venues are that you can title your dog through. So my girls, both of them are titled in an array of things. And that's just because we've been trying to kind of use them as the guinea pigs (laughs) into these sports. Right. (laughs) What can they do? What are they good at? Right. And so that's what we're really pushing for. We're going to try to do more events now that we're getting more Mm -hmm. dogs to the U.S. The association is. I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to clarify. You said you have in your database now about 400 dogs in your database. Is that correct? Right. And that there are many, many more thousands in Vietnam. You want to speak to that a little bit, Dan Can? Yeah, I mean, there are so many dogs in Vietnam that are unregistered, and I feel like part of preserving the breed is also making sure we understand where they come from and really just recording down their history as best as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I have to tell you, listeners, it is not every day that you get to be in on the ground floor of building out the registry for an ancient breed, but at the beginning of its recognition at this level. This is so cool. This is what I said. We were geeking out for like 20 minutes before we even started recording. (laughs) It is. It does feel like we are starting at the ground. You are. You are absolutely grassroots ground floor (laughs) right here, right now. Yeah, but we also want to make sure we're doing it right, you know, that our breed that is so important to us is not just having its history recorded, but it's also that we're breeding for better, you know, that we're doing the health testing, that we're making sure that breeders in Vietnam and breeders here have access to information that will help them breed better. And that's actually one of the things that Kira 
did in Vietnam was as she was talking to the breeders, she's helping give them information like here are some of the practices that we have that mm -hmm. can help improve your program. Things that they didn't know before, like genetic information, for example, which we'll get back to them. Right. And so we really want to just work with people, breeders and Vietnam enthusiasts in Vietnam to make sure that we are breeding right, breeding better and promoting the breed properly in the U.S. Yeah. And, I, you know, elsewhere. I just think it's amazing. I mean, the ambition, the determination is just incredible to build something from the ground up. And I just I'm so excited that we got to talk about it today because there's people out there. They love to learn about new breeds. And this is a really, really great opportunity. So I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. I first learned about the breed in 2015 when my husband told me about them, but I didn't actually get into the club and actually really start pushing for things until 2020. Mm. Um, so between 2020 was when I first started working with it to 2023. And when you look at the progress that our club has made since then, it really humbles me because <laughs> I'm like, wow, we have done a lot in three years. <laughs> Considering this is starting up a breed in America, this right. is a lot of work that's been done in the last three years. There's a lot of foundation to build there, right? It is. And like she said, we want to make sure that the breeders in Vietnam also know what we're doing and that we're doing it to work with them, not trying to take this breed and just make it our own thing. We want to make sure that they're involved. And that was one of the big indicators of me going was that if I do this, they have to get their results back. Every breeder, every dog that I test, they have to get those results back. Mm. So I made both companies like promise me, like it goes to them. And then their dog culture over there isn't quite the same as it is over here. So they, like I said, like David Tican said, they didn't quite understand some of the things that I was explaining, but we wanted to make infographics so that they could understand it. So oh, Dan Ken nice. made infographics and translated it to Vietnamese so that they could understand the things that we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing and what these genes mean, what these colors mean when you get two right. dogs and you get a color you didn't expect. How does that happen? And we want to explain that and help them learn how that works. And it was really, really amazing to get to see how these people interacted with their dogs and how they choose to breed a dog versus how Western dog people choose. So speak to that a little bit. What is their decision-making process and compare that in your mind to how we do it here? So a lot of them are very similar. They look at the temperaments of the dogs themselves. Then they'll see what they're lacking, what they think could benefit the other dog. They look at the structure of the dog. So they kind of looking at the same things. They're just doing it without the health testing that we have here. Right. But a lot of the breeders are saying, okay, well, if this dog has this temperament, maybe it's got a couple of traits I don't like, but let me find a dog that's a little bit better, a little bit sweeter, a little bit wherever this other dog's lacking or something like that. And they'll mix mm -hmm. the two that way. Mm. A lot of the breeders that I met were looking at structure and looking at how the temperaments are and if they produce consistency. Mm. And I had a couple tell me, they're like, yeah, these two produce consistent dogs and consistent quality. So that's why I keep breeding them. Mm. And I'm like, we love that. We right. love consistent dogs, right. consistent temperaments. Right. I mean, it surprised me a little bit that they do still match kind of the same way we do. Mm -hmm. It's just, they don't have quite the technology for the health testing and the same things that we do over here. A lot less information. A lot less information, but they're kind of doing it the old, the old, old fashioned. Way. <laughs> yeah. But it did. It reminded me of the old fashioned ways of breeding. Yeah. Yeah. Where you used to say, I like this one. I like this one. Okay. Let's make babies um, <laughs> because they matched. Mm -hmm. Right. So. They matched. Some of them will do it to enhance the features, you know, the features that they like of that line. Some of them will say, okay, well, this dog, we call it spicy. If they're more of that wild type mm -hmm. to them is what mm -hmm. we like to joke that they're spicy. And then we'll mix it with a sweeter dog so that we get a sweet chili sauce. Mm, sweet chili <laughs> sauce. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> 
But, you know, they still have the same knowledge to know what complements each other, what features they want to enhance. It's just, like I said, it's not quite the same as Western breeding where they're doing the full OFA, the titling, sure. the health testing. Right. Some of them do. So, I mean, some of them have grand championships. You have your champion dogs. They do have PQRs in shows over mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. They have an all-native breed that will go in their shows. Mm-hmm. So they are show dogs. They do show and compete over there. They don't have dog sports quite like we have over here. Right. But yeah, you'll see a few in shows every so often. Mm-hmm. I'm importing a few back. And one of mine is actually going to a show this weekend. So I'm extremely excited. Yay. In Vietnam. Extremely excited. She does. She's in Vietnam. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We're just really doing our best to help breeders out there too. And really just get the breed to be improved like anywhere we can (laughs) give them information and make sure that we're kind of in line with native breeders and the dogs in their homeland too. I feel like this is a sort of a back to the future, right? Like bringing history forward. I just love it. (laughs) You know, the dogs are relatively healthy over there too. They're the relatively healthy breed Mm -hmm. because they're a land race. There hasn't really been much to kind of throw in there, but when you're looking at things, they're like, oh, yeah, the dogs are healthy. And it's like, well, how do you know their hips are healthy? For sure, if you haven't seen them kind of things. Mm-hmm. So especially for the dogs here in America where we do have access mm-hmm. to these things, it's like, well, we don't know for sure. So we might as well start yeah. health testing yeah. and help do their OFAs, do their elbows. Let us see as much for as sure that they're healthy dogs. I mean, for the most part, though, we haven't really seen anything yet. The only major health issue is dermoid sinus, which runs in every Ridgeback breed. Sure. Yeah. And GDV bloat, which is also in any large chested dog. Right. So common issues to the shape and size and, you know, <laughs> physical mm-hmm. traits mm-hmm. that they have. Excellent. But always good to look for more information and make sure that there aren't underlying problems that we don't know of. So yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so incredibly much. I really appreciate your time. And I know my listeners will be super excited to see all the pictures So we'll have pictures on the blog post on the website, as well as some contact information and website and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for having us. It was wonderful. Excellent. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out 
Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.